0: Hi, this is Teresa Pablos, Editor-in-Chief of Dr. by Cuspid, back with another podcast episode. Today, we're going to be breaking down the DSO content that's been very popular on our site, our top 10 DSOs, and our top five fastest growing DSOs. To help me do that, we have an excellent guest. I'm here with Kevin Kumbis. He is the president of dental m a company, Tusk Partners. Thanks for chatting with me.
1: Teresa, it is great to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So for those of you who haven't read the articles, you're the only ones who haven't. Again, very popular. <laughs> uh, DSOs as a whole just keep getting bigger. Um, and although the biggest DSOs are, the list it stays relatively the same, and they're not growing at quite the same clip they used to, some of the ones on our new fastest growing list grew by more than 30% in the past year, according to publicly available data. And I'm not talking about just going from like four practices to five, we're talking about some brands with hundreds of practices. And so I'm really excited to talk with Kevin because I want to know what that kind of growth looks like on the ground floor. And so as the president of an m and company that works specifically in dental, what trends have you observed in the growth of DSOs over the past year?
1: Yeah, uh, thanks. Great, great question. Uh, the market moves so quickly, and things are so dynamic and fluid. Um, you know, it's it's almost a question you could ask quarterly. Frankly, um, what what we have seen in recent years is a rapid acceleration of the velocity of the consolidation of the dental industry, um, driven by private equity's demands to find really great risk-adjusted returns for limited partners' dollars. So you, you, you see uh, success inside of an industry. A private equity company has has success, and they're not just returning a 20% compounded interest uh, back to limited partners, but it's north of 30 or 40 on, a, on an annualized basis. People take notice, right? So five years ago, we might have had Fifty private equity backed DSOs. Today we have over 150 private equity backed DSOs. I wow. mean that's how voracious the appetite is uh, for investment inside of the dental community, and it's it's been lifting. Um, it, it's it's really interesting. So it's every time there's either let's say a global pandemic like COVID 19, or there's the great um, the uh, the great housing crisis we had back in 08, or there's there's some big. Uh, recession like we had in 01 um you actually see dentists come out of that and perform better each and every time and smart investors recognize that an industry is pandemic resistant and recession resistant that's where they want to put their money so that's kind of been the, the overall global global reason as to why we've seen more investment um in recent years it, it's really a story of a private equity backed groups trying to get in at low multiples and exit and high multiples, right? They're they're playing the game of buy low, sell high. Um, As the market has gotten flooded with new uh, buy side participants, valuations have gone up um, year over year over year. And we were looking at some comparables that that we looked at internally inside of our business and our average, average exit multiple for our clients has gone up in 2020, 2021, and and year-to-date, sorry, year-to-date, sorry, 2022, and year-to-date 2023. So it it feels like, I don't know how much we can continue at this pace, though, Teresa, because we all know that interest rates are up, and interest rates um, drive the cost of debt, and private equity groups um, don't just use equity dollars, they use debt as well to, to buy these businesses. Uh, So the the rapid growth we've seen in the last five years is likely going to slow a little bit. Uh, There are certainly some buyers who are sitting on the sidelines and taking this opportunity to breathe and incorporate the practices that they purchased. I think we've seen um, some DSOs maybe grow too fast, too quickly. It's a lot of work to actually integrate businesses into your DSO, build some interconnective tissue, maybe some cultural awareness, and, and, and continue to grow at 30 locations per year, 100 locations per year. Uh, I think that private equity buyers are, are, are a little more aware uh, that stacking EBITDA might not equate to creating value. And I, I think there's some EBITDA stackers out there that are just trying to, to create a lot of value and get out and not do the hard work of operational um, integration. So it's a long-winded answer to a very simple question, but it was not an easy question to answer in a very simple soundbite.
0: No, and I think you talked about um, quite a few different points of uh, what's driving these kinds of trends and where they might be going. Um, So thank you for expanding upon that. Now, um, I'm curious, in your opinion, what sets the 10 largest DSOs and the five fastest growing DSOs apart from the rest? So do they share common characteristics or practices that may make them more appealing to patients or dental professionals?
1: Yeah, so I, I'm, 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 I'm popping up the website here and looking at your uh, 10 largest and, and some of the commonalities across the 10 largest is that they've they've actually been around for decades. Um, in full disclosure, actually work for affordable dentures, affordable care. They've been around since the 70s. These are not many of these companies um, have existed for so long. They've got they've iterated on their model. Uh, They've learned from their mistakes and they've they're stronger because of the the mistakes that they made early on. Um, They they've got predictable results when they buy practices um, they've gotten really, really sharp at where they want to expand their footprint. Um, if if it's a de novo strategy or an acquisition strategy. So I would argue that they, they carry wisdom that some of the newer DSOs do not. And they're going to continue to grow because, in my opinion, they're safe smart beds. If I'm a dentist in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I've got $2 million of revenue and I'm looking for a safe place to go, knowing that some, when I sell my business, I'm not just going to take cash at the closing table. I'm also going to take some portion of that value in equity. I certainly would like to roll that equity into something somewhere where I believe I'm going to get my money back plus some reasonable return. And I and looking at the list, it feels like most of these are certainly going to chin to that bar. So I feel really good about these large businesses being around for, for a long time to come. There's also really good leadership in these great, great um, training programs, um, but arguably what's going to become the most important um, avenue for them for growth is the ability to continue to attract and retain dentist talent. And I think that's really where the game is going to be won over the next five years is which one of these large, 10 largest DSOs will actually be able to attract and retain the doctor talent to meet the growing demand.
0: And I kind of want to dig into that a little more. Um, or if you could provide some insights that you've seen that successful DSOs have used to achieve their scale. Um, you mentioned De Novo and acquisitions. And then what they might have to do, in your opinion, on that talent front.
1: Yeah. So there, there's really only three engines for growth in businesses like this. Um, Two, you've already correctly pointed out. Um, Number one is acquisitions. That's what we talk about most uh, because I'm in the business of selling businesses. So we we talk a lot about that over here at our shop. Then there's also the de novo strategy, which is building new practices. And some companies like Aspen uh, and Affordable Ditchers for a long period of time, that was 80 to 100% of their growth strategy. But the third and arguably the hardest way to grow value is through same store sales and actually growing even on margin inside of the business. So how do you do that? You need the maintenance of the co- continuity of care in the, in the dentist seat. Um, you likely need to be um, increasing the average charge per patient through increased payer negotiation rates by bringing insurance companies in at higher rates. Uh, you need to put pressure on the cost side of the equation, meaning dental supplies and laboratories, Uh, And then add additional dental services. Uh, The payer side and the expense side, the DSOs kind of handle for you. The hard part is getting the dentist who's recently affiliated with you to get on board with adding new procedures, uh, looking forward to increasing the average charge per patient, and creating a culture in which the dentist who, who owned that practice yesterday is happy to continue to work in the practice as an employee. Uh, most of these deals, uh, Teresa, come along with a three- to five-year post-sale employment agreement, and, and that's really the window where you got to start to scratch your head and wonder, how are the newer DSOs going to handle this? Because Heartland's already been through that cycle. Affordable Dentures has been through that cycle. DCA's been through that cycle. They, they have time-tested solutions on how to solve that natural attrition that's going to happen with dentists over the age of 65 each and every year but it's the newer DSOs I'm a little curious about. I'm not exactly sure how they're going to handle that because Heartland, Heartland has been inside of dental schools for decades now. They are well-known. Whereas a two-year-old DSO that just got originated you know, a couple of short months ago, they're going to have dentists leaving after they work their contract and they're going to be competing against the Heartlands of the world to replace that talent. So I, I, again, so, so how do you do it? Um, there are some creative and entrepreneurial DSOs that are offering very, very large signing bonuses if the doctors will sign multi-year employment agreements. They are offering um, loan forgiveness for the dental school and specialty school uh, debt burden that comes along with graduating from school these days. And they're also offering equity inside of the business in which that dentist will work or inside of the broader DSO. And I think I think really that this is where we should we should be thinking about a way to to create alignment because if if I'm a met a dentist coming out and I, and I'm you know coming out of residency, and the options are to go work for my dentist uh, that I grew up with in Montgomery, Alabama, or go do my own thing, and the dentist in Montgomery is not offering me equity, but the dentist the, the DSO is, and it's worth a hundred thousand dollars today and could be worth five hundred thousand dollars, in call it seven to ten years that is meaningful to me. And I, I think those are the tools that DSOs need to come to rely on to attract the best and the brightest talent.
0: So we're, we've talked about talent. I kind of want to move towards the other end of the spectrum. You're a dentist thinking about retiring um, and you're looking to sell your practice. Since you're on the MA side, what are the reasons you're hearing from doctors who are selling their practices who opt to go with a DSO?
1: Yeah, so uh, there's never been more awareness of what a, a practice a dental practice is worth than, than there is today. Um, and I'm sure we've played a large role in that, right. We, we do a lot of content based marketing, a lot of, a lot of podcasts and webinars and speaking at conferences. Uh, but the short story is it's a great time to own a dental practice uh, because it gives you options you can sell to another dentist who graduated from the dental school that's your alma mater as well. And you can likely receive about somewhere between 70 to 85, uh, 80, 85% of collections from, uh, from that buyer. And again, the reason there is because the buyer doesn't want to put any money into the dentist buyer, wants to get a loan for 100% of the value. And that's that's kind of a, this, this artificial ceiling about what banks will lend individual dentists to buy dental practices. And that's been the conversation around valuation for many, 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 many years. Today, what I would—if you're thinking about selling—the first thing I would do is call somebody like us and say, "Well, let us give you a true market read so you can compare sell to a dentist compared to sell to a DSO." And, and, and believe it or not, we're agnostic on, on what a dentist chooses because it's not—it is not, not, not the right fit for everyone. Um, but what makes our blood boil is someone making a decision without all of the information. You know, my my father sold his his dental practice to his associate, and he and I you know, have a great relationship and laugh about it all the time. He said, I don't I don't think I could have sold to a larger group. And then I share with him some of the valuations our clients achieve, and he goes, Well, for that kind of money, I might could have done it. So I, I think you've got to be armed with the facts before you can make a well informed decision. So,
0: for selling to a DSO, you're going to get some some good value in today's market for your yeah. practice. Are, are there any other reasons beyond the dollar amount that would? Be for sure,
1: one? for sure. So, for for an individual dentist, he or she um, might be a little tired of running payroll, might be tired of actually filing the taxes for the practice, might not be uh, the, a marketing genius and would really like to just hand some of those mundane but necessary roles and responsibilities off to someone else. And for docs who want to do that, uh, DSOs can be a great fit. Um, There are also group practice owners. Let's think about the dentist that went from one location to seven locations and has aspirations to continue to grow, but is a little kind of outstripped his lender and maybe outstripped his capabilities. Uh, They're really good at the growth from from 1 to 7, but to go from 7 to 27, maybe they need some additional support. And there are great DSOs that will help you with that. And what they're doing is providing operational knowledge, infrastructure, and access to capital more quickly than you could get on your own. And we're lucky enough to work with a lot of entrepreneurs who are in that call it four to 11, four to to 25 locations and say, listen, what I really need now is a capital partner for growth. And they're they're willing to share some of their playbook with me to increase the likelihood that I can execute on the vision that I have. Those are really the, when I think about the two groups, individual dentist and a growing group practice owner, that's really the reason that they, they are considering a partnership with the DSO.
0: And then let's talk about the flip side. People like your dad, what are some reasons selling to a DSO might not be the right choice?
1: Yeah, so uh, let's let's think about that for a minute. So a, a dentist, it's most dentists I know um, either bought or built their business, and the majority of them are solo practice owners, right? And they've got a team that they've nurtured and grown over the years. Many of them have been with them 10, 20, 30 years. And the thought of, and they've been um, independent their entire lives, right? They, now they have to go to work to make money because they need their 10 fingers in, in, in somebody's mouth to make money. But nobody's ever told them when to take a vacation. Nobody's ever told them how to run payroll. Nobody's ever, they've never had a boss. And many of them, their entire lives have never had a boss because they went from undergrad to dental school to maybe to residency or specialty, then out and then independent practice ownership. For some dentists, the idea of having to work for someone is intolerable, and I will—we tell dentists all the time—if that's just intolerable for you, you do not need to do this because there's no amount of money in the world worth being miserable for. It's just not—that's not the way you should end your career. Uh, so we're—you know—we we're, we we really try to push on people hard as they're thinking about making the decision to sell to a DSO. And they understand not just the financial outcomes, like we've talked about, um, but also the operational outcomes. What does work really look like on the other side of the equation, uh, on the other side of the deal? And then we we really help them try to understand emotionally what this is going to feel like. And if we if we've got, um, I feel like our client has a good understanding of all that, then then we feel like they're mind ready and, and and potentially could be a great fit for a DSO.
0: Now. Returning to the prospect of growth, I'm curious if you've noticed if there's any regions or markets that have a had a particularly significant growth of DSOs in the past few years, and what factors is are contributing to this growth.
1: Yeah, great question. We we track this internally, and we always um, are are updating. Um, our thoughts around it. what I will tell you is is what's really popular right now because it's it's a little bit of a, a moving target. Um, right now, the most valuable desirable practices are located in what we kind of call SEC and ACC country, right? we we have had all sports fans around here. So you think about the SEC and the ACC is kind of Atlantic, Gulf Coast, all the way up to Texas, North Oklahoma, and and, and it's also where a lot of people live. Uh, it, it's where a lot of people are moving, and you look at all the folks who move from California to Texas and from New York down to Florida, and these are booming, booming population bases, really strong economies, highly desirable areas to work. So if you have to look at it on a state basis, that that's where where we say is probably the most valuable and retaining value at the highest rate. And then secondly, are let's call it large, major, desirable cities in 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 great states like Denver, Colorado places like that. Um, and, and why do we say that? Uh, because the value of any 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 business or any cash flow string is not just the EBITDA or the cash flow that it spits off each and every year. It's the riskiness of that cash flow. So if, if most of the risk lives with provider risk, meaning I got to find a doctor if this doctor leaves, I want to be in areas that are highly desirable that I can market to Venice to. Come on up, Charlotte. We'd love to have you work in our practice. That, that's some of the driving forces here.
0: Something that um, you didn't say, but I'm curious if it plays a role, is the SEC, the ACC, the Sunbelt area. Um, it's hard. I don't want to talk politics, so we're not going to talk politics, but it they uh, those states tend to advertise themselves as being business friendly. And I'm wondering if that has an effect for making it easier to grow a DSO or if it's the population movement that if that has an effect at all or it's really just people are moving there so
1: it's a great investment area yep. um great question we won't go into politics but we will we'll go into the legal the legality of it right so uh a, a DSO is a dental service organization uh, the rules and regulations surrounding a DSO which is simply a legal legal conduit to take cash flow from the practice up to a non-dentist is regulated on a state-by-state basis, right? So I, th- I think that's kind of what we're brushed up against here. Right. And each state has different rules. Now, North Carolina used to have the most stringent rules. I would say they had the highest fences and the deepest moats when it came to came to DSOs. Slowly but surely, money found its way into the state. And today North Carolina is a highly desirable area to invest in. So yes, it is um, a state by state issue. It is, a, it is a legal issue that, that has to do with the corporate practice of dentistry and every state is different. But that said, these regions, um, I, I believe more driven by population, uh, let's say population growth or popularity are, are, are bigger drivers.
0: Makes sense. Um, then finally, my last question is looking ahead. What do you envision for the future of DSOs? You've already kind of talked, uh, interest rates are up. Growth is probably going to slow. Um, but are there any other, if you could expand on that, and if you have any other emerging trends, you believe are going to shape the trajectory of DSOs in the coming years. Um, and then also what those trends mean for dentists and other dental professionals.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, if you're an individual dentist um, in the last three years, you had your offices shut down by the federal government due to COVID, and you had to make a hard decision about whether whether you terminated your team, continued to pay your team, then all these loans started to show up, and that made it a little bit easier. And the, let, let's say your business survived COVID, then your team, some of your team members, and maybe they were over 60 and ready to retire anyway. Said, look, I'm, I'm out. And they left healthcare for everybody. And we saw the great resignation. And then when we had the great resignation, we, we then had younger people with less talent ask for more money. So I replaced my seasoned 60 year old dental assistant with a 20 year old, and I'm paying the 20 year old more than I ever paid the 60 year old. So that, and that, that created margin compression and stress. Well, that that's at one practice. Now imagine having 1,200 practices. And having that compound across the network of of, of your entire business, uh, it has been a challenging operating environment for individual dentists and group practice owners, any way you slice it. No one can, no one was immune from the Great Resignation and then the inflation that came after that. So, what's going to happen? Uh, there are a sizable number, I'd say there, there's, a, there's a number of DSOs who are taking this as an opportunity to think critically about their business and, and really focus on operations and margin expansion rather than ag- uh, growth through acquisition. They're like, look, we got to get better at integrating these businesses. We got to get better at creating same store sales. We got to get greater about our cultural identity, who we are, who do we want to be. And, and I, I, I don't think that that is a bad thing because the net result of that will be a stronger sense of identity, a stronger balance sheet, stronger income statement across, but it it very well could for those groups result in them staying the same size. When you think about dots on a map, not revenue, but how many locations do they have, or even shrinking a little bit and rationalizing off some bad businesses uh, that, that could be more of a, a, a kind of a time suck. And and they just say, well, look, look, let's, let's get lean. Let's get right. And then when we have the core uh, all, all toned up at that point, then we'll go out and to acquire more businesses. So we do, I, we talk with a lot of CEOs at conferences and on, on calls like this. And it does feel like we are more in an era of, I got to do some housekeeping. I got to do some, I got to make some changes operationally. Because I want to make sure that when when the money gets cheaper and the economy recovers, there's more certainty out there that we can run swiftly. So I I think valuations are likely plateauing for a period of time. It could could be coming down, honestly. We've been on this steep ascent for a long, long time. And that cannot continue in the face of inflation and, and the high interest rates. Um, so if you know, if you're thinking about selling a practice in the next three to five years, now's a good time. If you're if you're happy holding off for three years, well then just keep operating your business and enjoying the cash flow that it affords you. But I, I do think there are going to be some trends of that are continuing of, of focusing on um, making sure that we we we're building the business the right way. I think you're also gonna see a lot more focus on the attraction and retention of doctors. I think most DSOs. Are gonna really start offering equity at reasonable discounted rates, um, some earn-in-equity programs. They want the doctors to be equity holders for alignment, but also so they they look at building a practice, they look at the economics of building their own practice or buying their own practice, could be very, very similar to taking a job as an associate, taking on a slug of equity and enjoying that rather than the ownership, the business ownership. Um, so those are the trends we see. Uh, I, I think you're you're also going to see some consolidation at the top end of the market. We, we've already begun to see this. American Dental Partners was bought by Heartland Dental Care. Uh, you're going to see you've seen a, a big conglomerate built with Western. I think you're going to see more more of that consolidation at the top as they look for ways to um, rationalize headcount through, synerg- through synergistic through synergistic m And I feel
0: like that almost takes us back to the beginning of. If the growth engines slow down, a cool down a bit, and you focus on becoming a better business, well, like you said, some of the top 10 DSOs have been around since the 70s. They have thought about how to be a better business. And working on that business side is when it's going to keep the top 10 DSOs in the top 10 or allow new ones to slide in if they can kind of figure that out a little bit better.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to get too caught up in number of locations. I, I, I think, I think that's a, I, I, I don't think that's the best metric to measure a DSO. When I think we need a metric, right? Not uh, but,
0: tired. No, no, I love this. Let's hear right. it.
1: So, so when, when we, when we think about um, value inside of this world, the most valuable business uh, that you can build is the largest number of operatories, the most number of doctors. The highest EBITDA margin underneath one roof, right? And, and a number, and a, and a, because you could have a, we work with clients that have a, you know, $15 million valuation on a non-operatory practice. And and we worked with folks that have $21 million of revenue across 11 practices in negative EBITDA. So a number of locations to me is a little bit of a, of a misleading statistic. Okay. Uh, okay. So, so, but when you start to getting to heartland size, you're like fifteen hundred. Okay, you, you gotta, you gotta be there somewhere. Um, will, will there be? So, most of the large DSOs on your list are are not shutting down the acquisition machine. They are not. They're they're able to continue to grow because they have the right operations in place. It's really some of these mid market that are absolutely saying we've got to figure out operations, and we're being told from Um, Our investment banker that wants to take us to market and sell us to a bigger private equity um, group—that we we have to um, we can't be buying practices right now. We have to fix operations at this point.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. And I think it also uh, reminds me of the phrase "What gets measured, what gets measured gets managed." And so, making sure that you're looking at the right things to measure by in order to make sure you're moving in the right d- direction for success.
1: Yeah. I, I think they're really, really focused on EBITDA margin at the, at the, at the store level location, right? At the four wall location. What's the EBITDA margin at my practice in Charlotte, North Carolina, compared to my practice in Concord, North Carolina, compared to my practice in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Right. And, and why is one 18, one's 22 and one's 23 and how do we get them all to 23?
0: Love that. Well, Thank you so much, Kevin, for speaking with me. This has been a really great conversation. If you are listening to this podcast and you like what you're hearing, uh, Kevin has articles on our site. You can go read. uh, They do really well. I would be surprised if uh, you don't find one that you like. You can also check out our top 10 DSO list and we'll have more DSO content. Thanks again for chatting with me. We'll catch you next time.
1: Sounds good. Thanks for the invitation, Teresa. It's been a lot of fun.